Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad to be with you today on the Monday broadcast and a brand new week, brand new opportunities to serve the Lord. And I want to let you know that I am just back from a missions trip and had an amazing time in Costa Rica. And so if any of my pastor friends are listening and you're looking for a place to take your congregation on a short-term missions trip, I've got just a place for you, all right? Our dear friend, Lamar Sally, has an amazing ministry in Costa Rica. Uh, They do a whole summer full of missions trips. They take teams uh, other times in the year as well. So if you have a question about that, you want me to put you in contact with him, I'll be happy to do that. Just give me a text message at 252-267-2365, and I'll put you in touch with Lamar Sally and the amazing ministry that he has in reaching Costa Rica with the gospel. Well, today I want to talk about the commands of Christ, and and what has brought this message on is uh, understanding the fact that discipleship is a mandate, right? It's not a suggestion. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Uh, You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus approached these 12 seemingly unsuspecting Galileans. And he said, come follow me. And for the next three years, they walked right alongside with him. And he disciplined or discipled them. Toward the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus commissions his disciples to go out and to do the same thing, to take the gospel message to the world, to make disciples of all nations. So I recently surveyed my congregation, and I asked them to define what discipleship is. I asked them to let me know if they've ever been discipled by anybody, and I asked them to think about and pray about the possibility of discipling somebody. And, uh, you know, I got uh, almost uh, 75 responses, defining discipleship, uh, showing interest in being a disciple. And so I'm doing a two-week class on discipleship to help our congregation grow deeper in their faith. When you think about the Great Commission, the Great Commission is audacious. I mean, when you understand what it is and sharing the gospel and making disciples, how do you know if a person truly is a follower of Christ? What earmarks do they have in their lives? And so many people, I think, make a decision for Christ but they're not a disciple of Christ. And I look at our world today. People are lonelier than ever before. Uh, They're more distracted than ever before. I mean, they're tethered to their phones. Uh, They're addicted to social media, and they're searching for meaningful lives. And as Christians, we have this wonderful message of the gospel. It is the most important message that anybody can ever hear especially in our world today that is increasingly being polarized by all these different spiritual issues. And so when we look at discipleship in the United States, is the church effective? Are churchgoers getting involved in discipleship activities? And if so, how are they doing it? And perhaps most importantly, do investments in discipleship actually affect spiritual growth? Well, George Barna has done a whole lot of study on this, and he teamed up with a group called the Navigators and and NavPress, and and they conducted a comprehensive multi-phase research study among Christian adults and church leaders, and this is what they have discovered. 
The research has gone through studying discipleship. They've discovered that many people would describe discipleship as the process of growing spiritually. The most preferred term, I guess, would be to become more like Christ. And then the second preferred term would be spiritual growth, and the third would be a spiritual journey. So the term discipleship itself, it actually ranked fourth on the list that was selected by fewer than one in five Christians. So the average American Christian is looking at not discipleship, but is looking at spiritual journeys, spiritual growth, that process of becoming spiritual. Now, the dilemma with this, the problem with this is, how do you define that? You know, I believe that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Uh, We're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And so when you look at this process of growing spiritually, that doesn't necessarily mean you're growing as Christ or like Christ. So when we look at this topic, I want to drive home the point what biblical discipleship is. It is teaching somebody to be a follower of Christ. I am a disciple of Christ, not just by knowing facts about Jesus. I am a disciple of Christ when I follow him and I become like him. I will never become him. Uh, He is God and I am not, but I will become more like him. So the state of discipleship making in our culture today is really in a state of falling short. Uh, As a matter of fact, Christian adults believe that their churches, for the most part, are doing a great job at discipleship. As a matter of fact, 52% said that they're attending a church that they feel like is doing an amazing job at growing people spiritually. However, only 18% of pastors, we're talking about lead pastors, feel like their church is doing a really good job with discipleship. So we have a little bit of conflict here between uh, the leadership of the church and the congregation of the church, and they're not in agreement as to how well we are doing discipleship. And so church leaders tend to believe that we need to do a little better in this matter of discipleship. As a matter of fact, my wife will often tell me after I give a sermon, she said, man, that was a great sermon to me, and she enjoys the sermon, but she says, you know, sometimes you're saying things that I don't think is connecting with the congregation. It's going right over their head. And the reason it's going over their head is because they don't have a firm and an elementary understanding of scriptures. And they don't have an understanding of the commands of Christ. They don't have an understanding of the even the stories within the Bible. You know, whenever Jesus spoke, he always spoke in a parable. So if you don't understand the parables of the Bible, the stories of the Bible, the commands of Christ, you're going to be having a hard time becoming a disciple of Christ. So I want to spend today and tomorrow talking about some of the commands that were given to us by Jesus himself. And I want you to know these are not suggestions. These are commands. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And then he said, why is it that you say you love me, but you don't keep my commands? And then James drives home the point by saying, He that knoweth to do the right thing and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. James also reminds us that we can become deceived if we are hearers of the word and not doers of the word. You see, just hearing the word 
does it make you a disciple of Christ? Lots of people are hearing sermons and listening to podcasts, and praise God for it. I'm not against any of that. That's why I do a podcast. That's why I'm on the radio. That's why I preach every Sunday, because we need to hear the Word. But we need to also be doers of the Word. You know, James says, if you only hear the Word, but yet you don't do the Word, something happens to you. And it's a subtle thing that happens to you. James says that you are deceiving yourselves. You see, you fall into deception if you're only hearing the word, but not doing the word. So as a disciple of Christ, oh, I want you to grow in your faith. And so today and tomorrow, I want to talk about the commands of Christ. Now, my friend Lamar Sally, our missionary that we have been supporting for a long time in Costa Rica, has given a list of 120 commands of Jesus. Now, I think there's even more than that. I found another book that said there are over 300 commands of Christ. Well, we don't have time to look at all of them, but I want to give you uh, just 10 commands of Christ that will help you to become more of a disciple of Christ, not just by knowing these commands, but by living out these commands. So here's number one. We are commanded, Jesus himself commands us to repent, to repent and to believe. In the book of Romans, it is very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have missed the mark. All of us are highly flawed individuals. I don't think we understand the depths of how sinful we are, how wretched we are, how vile we are, how much we miss the mark, because we tend to think that we're pretty good. As a matter of fact, we are so selfish that we spend most of our time thinking about ourselves. I told our congregation last Sunday, I said, now, if I were to get my camera and I were to get a wide picture of the entire congregation this morning, and then I were to place it up on the PowerPoint, I says, there's one thing I know will happen as soon as I put that picture up on the PowerPoint. Everyone in that audience, every single one without exception, is going to be looking for themselves. Yeah, that's right. Uh, We're going to be looking for ourselves in that picture. Uh, There may be 100 or 150 people in that picture, but we're going to be looking for ourselves. Why is that? Because we are selfish. And so Jesus says, repent and believe. Mark 1.15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, if you have uh, your Bible open to Mark 1.15, I know it might be kind of hard because you're probably driving, but that would happen to be in red letters, and that means that these are the words of Christ. Jesus says, I am here. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. Now, don't say repent or believe. It's not like you can do one or the other. It's not like you can believe and not repent, or you can repent and not believe. You need both trust and obey, repent and believe the good news. You know, that's actually a command that's given to us by Christ. So what does that word repent mean? That word repent means that I'm going to have a change of mind, a change of mind that will lead to a change of direction. We will not change the direction of our lives until we first have a change of mind. And that word believe means I put my entire weight in or on Christ. I put my entire trust in Christ. I trust in the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, 
all my being, right? I'm not leaning on my own understanding. In all of my ways, I am acknowledging him. So that's the very first command that is given to us, that we are to be involved in understanding the command to repent and to believe. Now, as we look at this first step, that first command, we take that first step, but it doesn't stop there. This leads me to the second command that is given to us by Christ. And the second command is very simple, very straightforward, but here it is. Be baptized. Baptism is not optional. It's not like, okay, now that you repent and believe, it's probably a good idea that you get baptized. No, Jesus is very emphatic that we should be baptized. When a person gets saved, the first step of being a disciple is to be baptized. You know, throughout Scripture, baptism always, always, always follows conversion. Sometimes it is simultaneously, it says they believed and were baptized, but it never precedes conversion. Why? Because baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith. It is your statement of your faith. It is your public testimony. So be baptized. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus gathers his disciples around that he had spent three and a half years instructing. They followed him, and now he is sending them out. He's giving them the great commission that is a commission that is for all believers. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I am with you always even to the very end of the age. So baptism, an outward act that symbolizes the inward phenomenon of coming to and accepting Christ as real, God in the flesh, God incarnate, as the sacrificial means by which those who believe in him can be forever reconciled with God. Now, the purpose of baptism is to give a visual testimony of our commitment to Christ. It's the very first step of discipleship. Now, the Greek word for baptism is baptizo, and the Greek word means to dip or to immerse. And I said this is also a statement of our faith. We are identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. This past Sunday, we baptized three people, and as they were baptized, I would say to each of them, I now baptize you, my brother or my sister. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is coming right out of Matthew 28. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is giving this command as to how we baptize people. And so that's how we baptize people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And then I will say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the fullness of his resurrection. And so as we are raising up in that fullness of his resurrection, We are identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You see, you don't get that symbol. You don't get that picture through sprinkling. Uh, You don't get that picture through any other means other than being totally immersed in that water. And throughout Scripture, I have encouraged people. I said, now, if you can find an example of somebody being baptized other than being immersed, then I would accept your baptism. You know, it's hard about this is because tradition for some people has been they were baptized as a child or as an infant. 
And they feel like if I were to be rebaptized by immersion after my conversion, then I would be really turning my back on my family. I would be disappointing my family, right? And I always tell people, I said, now listen, when you were baptized as an infant, that wasn't really your decision. You didn't have any say in that matter. Your parents did what they thought was right for you and and what they thought was best according to what they were taught. And so uh, they had you baptized or sprinkled as an infant. Now, as you look at the reason for that taking place in some congregations is that they felt like being baptized would cover the original sin. And so you would get baptized as soon as possible. Now, there's only one very small problem with that. Nowhere do we find that in in Scripture. When you are baptized by water, it is not technically forgiving you of your sins. You are forgiven of your sins at the moment of conversion. That's why the thief on the cross, he was never baptized, but Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus would have baptized him if he wasn't on the cross, I imagine, but your baptism doesn't save you. Your baptism is a picture of salvation. It is a first step of obedience once you are saved. And so your parents, if you were baptized as an infant, they did what they thought was best for you, and and they did what they thought was right. But then as you get older and, and you make a decision personally for Christ, then you follow him in obedience. Once you have decided that you're going to receive this wonderful gift of the gospel, this gift of salvation, then you want the whole world to know. And Jesus himself says, as you are being baptized, he says, don't worry about your mom and dad, right? As a matter of fact, he says, he who loves mom and dad more than me is not worthy of heaven. And so I know sometimes your family may be um, maybe, maybe disappointed uh, because they feel like you are leaving a tradition But I would encourage you to tell your family, I'm not leaving a tradition. I am following Christ. And I want to be baptized the same way that Jesus was baptized. You know, Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, and it was his public profession of his faith. And and you can tell your family uh, that you want the whole world to know that you identify with Jesus Christ. So we've covered two commands already, right? The first is repent and believe. Number two is to be baptized. And number three, did you know that Jesus commands us to obey the word? That's right, obey the word. Matthew chapter 7, we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in verse 24, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Well, this is one of my favorite stories that Jesus gives. This is actually a parable where Jesus is taking an earthly illustration to teach a heavenly truth. Now, uh, maybe you are very, you're probably very familiar with this parable, and maybe you have even said uh, to your children, okay, kids, I want you to make sure that you build your house on the rock. That rock is Jesus, right? Don't build your rock upon sand built it upon the rock of Jesus Christ, and you'll have a successful life. 
And when the winds and the storms come, uh, you, you don't have to worry about your life collapsing, right? Because you're built on the rock. Now, that's a good understanding of this passage. However, it's a little bit off in that it doesn't, uh, that's a good application, right? But the interpretation of this passage is not building your life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's a given, right? Jesus is driving home the point, uh, verse number 24. Don't miss this point, right? Because I think a lot of times we will give vocabulary to having our lives built on Christ, right? I mean, if you're a follower of Christ, Obviously, you're not going to build your house on sand. Obviously, you're going to say, I'm building my life on Jesus Christ. And I would say, amen, glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? But what Jesus is saying here is that you just can't give it lip service. How do I know my life is built on a solid foundation? Verse 24 tells us, therefore, Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock, on the rock. Okay, so the command is that we must hear and obey the word of God. That's where we put our confidence, on Christ in his word and on obeying his word. So we've covered three so far, okay? I'm hoping we get halfway through before the broadcast, and then we'll get the second half on tomorrow's broadcast. But here's number four. All right, we've talked about repent, believe. We've talked about being baptized. And we've talked about number three, obeying the word. Then number four, very important. Here's an emphatic command that is given. We are to worship together. Now, Matthew 18.20 is a verse that we quote often. It says, and Jesus is speaking, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. All right, two or three gathered in my name, there am I with them. Now, we often will quote this verse when we uh, have some people come over our house, maybe for a small group uh, meeting, and uh, we thought 15 or 20 people would show up, but just a couple people show up, and we say, well, by golly, (laughs) where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Now, Jesus is talking here about the context of worshiping together, where two or three believers are together, uh, he is there with them. And so we look at this passage, and this is a command that we should be worshiping together. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, some people would call that the Baptist anthem, right? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another daily as you see the day of the Lord drawing nearer, okay? Uh, So we are commanded to worship together, but uh, that command is also given with a motivation behind it. Why are we continuing to worship on a regular basis? We are to worship together because we are commanded to. We are to worship together to be an encouragement to somebody else. Every Sunday when you go to church, right? You need to ask yourself, who can I encourage today? Who can I be a blessing to today? You know, maybe you're questioning, well, um, if I go to church once a month, is that good enough? Well, let me ask you this question, right? Let's say there's four Sundays in a month, and you say, well, I'm going to be a faithful worshiper that's going to show up once a month. I want you to go to work tomorrow, and uh, and let's say you work five days a week, and you say to your to your boss, I tell you what. Uh, I only want to come in once a week to work, okay? How is that going to go? 
Now, I know you need times of vacation, times of rest, and when you get sick, obviously you're not going to go to work. But I find a good way to determine if I'm truly being faithful in worshiping God and showing up and attending and participating in corporate worship is if I had the same level of attendance in my job, would I still have a job? Would my boss consider me a faithful employee? So attending worship faithfully, consistently, right? Corporately. And then number five. So join me tomorrow. Number five, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. Jesus was eating. He took some bread and he gave thanks. He broke it, gave it to his disciples, said, take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup after he had given thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Well, I'm out of time. Thank you so much for joining me today. Join me tomorrow as we look at these 10 commands that are given to us by Jesus. Now, there's more than 10, obviously, but we're going to cover these again tomorrow. So thank you for joining me. And if I can pray for you, shoot me a text, 252-267-2365. And I so enjoy hearing from our listeners. Love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining me. That number again, one more time, 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.